Continuing this play on the word Eicha, at the end of the long kina, which talks about the fact that the destruction of the temple seems to have been predestined, the very end of this, and of course, Kalir works with the text of Eicha. He structures his keynote around the text of Eicha. The very end of it, he talks about Kol Barama Hishmiu Livko. The end of this kina, Kol Barama. Kol Barama, the voice heard in Rama, is a reference to the book of Yirmiyahu. In that book, it talks about Rachel crying for her children. Rachel Mivaka Abaneha. It's the Haftorah for the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Rachel is crying Mivaka Abaneha. So Kalir, I think, plays with the word Mivaka. She cries for her children. And God says, stop crying. I'm, I'm, I'm going, children shall return. But Mivaka Abaneha, Mem Bet is in Kalir's imagination, playing off the word kafe, which is ko. Rachel mevaka al-banera, in the last line of the kina, ragnu lahamir lashon eicha bilashon eiko. Eiko, eicha, aleph yud kafe means how could it happen? How could this misfortune happen? But eiko, e is where? Where is the ko? The word ko is a word that Kalir now picks up, and the word ko relates to promises that God has made. For example, we know that in the story of Avraham, and that's how Kalir starts the next Kina, Eiko Omer Korat La'av Befetzach Bivrit Ben Habatarim Ko Where is the promise that God made with Abraham by the utterance of Zos, Ko, at the covenant of the pieces? Covenant of the pieces is God's promise to Abraham that he will have a successor, a son who will succeed him, and that his children, grandchildren, will ultimately possess the sacred land, the sacred space, the alternative to the Garden of Eden. And Abraham says to God initially in chapter 15 of Genesis, what could you, God says, I have a great reward for you. What reward could you give me, says Abraham? I have no successor. He took him outside. Look at the stars. Can you number the stars? Thus shall your descendants be. So a ko, the poet asks, where is the ko? Where is the promise that you made? Eicha. What happened to all the promises? Beginning with Abraham. And it's interesting when it comes to Abraham and the promise to Abraham, the covenantal promise about Abraham's descendants, which is chapter 15. If we read forward in the book of Genesis to one of the great stories of Genesis, the binding of Isaac, we remember that Abraham walks with Isaac and two lads come with him. And Abraham, when he approaches the place that God has chosen, says to the two boys that have come with him, to Narim, Shvulach and Po, you stay Po, you stay here. But me and the Nar, referring to Isaac, will go to Ko. The difference in Po and Ko. You stay behind, you stay here. We move forward to Ko. And the reader, of course, remembers that the great covenantal promise to Abraham, Ko ye 
Thus shall your descendants be as numerous as the stars. Abraham, of course, is walking, moving forward to sacrifice his one remaining son. That's the story of the binding of Isaac. His willingness to do this and the reprieve that he's given and the sacrifice which replaces Isaac and allows Isaac to be confirmed as the covenantal successor to Abraham. That's the co. So a co. And what Kalir does, he has a whole list of stories in which he plays with the word co. So the co is all about the promises. And once again, we are turning to God and asking God the question, what happened to all the promises, all the promises that you made? So there is here too, in the keynote, keynote complaints. They are calls to, for us to reflect, but there are also critiques. And in point of fact, our tradition has given us a day where we permit ourselves to voice objections, questions, perhaps we're thinking about them all the time, but we give voice to them on Tisha B'Av. And in that sense, Tisha B'Av is an incredibly important day. The other day, I think, which we allow ourselves to question the way the world is working, who in fact runs the world, justice, the existence of evil, is the day of Purim. It's interesting, actually, that in the introductory phrase to this particular kina, how have we come to this place? But Wadat Mazevi Almazer is, of course, taken from Megillat Esther. Esther wants to know why is Mordechai in mourning? Why is Mordechai wearing sackcloth? She doesn't know what's happened, the decree against the Jews. She sends a messenger, Wadat Mazer, the Almazer, and then she takes, with Mordechai's help, decisive action. So this is one of the themes that we encounter in many of the keynote, and it's most pointedly made, very strikingly made, in the kina that we recite later on, which describes all kinds of horrors that have befallen the Jewish people. It begins with the description that we have both in the Torah and also in the Book of Echa. Im nashim piriyam When I think how women could devour their own offspring, the children of their tender care, woe is me. That is described in the Torah, in the the admonitions of the Torah, the Tochacha, but it also appears in the first chapter of Eicha. Im tochadon nashim piriyam tipuchim. Im yehoreg b'migdash Hashem kohen v'navi. Look here, we say to God. Look what's happening. Women are devouring their own children. The priest and prophet are being murdered in the temple. And we have a list here in Kaliyah's Kina, which begins with this description, and terrible things, terrible things that are happening. I say happening because even though it may have happened a long time ago, and some of these things happened not such a long time ago, but we are living in that moment the keynote actually are allowing us to put ourselves in that place. And there's a whole list of terrible things that's described over here. And there is, in fact, how could these terrible things happen? Woe is to me. But implicitly, it raises questions about how the world works. 
What's interesting is that after this litany of terrible things, terrible, the very end of this particular kina, by Kalir, marim. The Holy One, Marim, thunders in response. The Holy One understands that in this kina, in these statements, there is a critique. Woe for my neighbors, my bad neighbors. What happened to them, that they speak about. They don't want to talk about what they did. They're very happy to cite the first half of the verse. That they cite. But they don't cite the second half of the verse. But the second half of the verse, if in the temple the priest and the prophet are killed, that they don't mention. That in the temple the priest and the prophet are killed. What's interesting is that for Kalir, that's God's response. This is found in Eichot's verse number 20, chapter 2, verse 20. And the poet sees that as God's response. It's funny because the plain reading of the text is that it's not a response, but rather a description. It's one of the terrible things that God, look, how, see, see what's happening. See what you made possible. It's a critique of God. In one of the earlier recordings, I pointed out that it's possible to read this as the words of the walls of Zion. It's put into the mouth of the wall, Chomat Batzion. It's not something we might even voice. But in the hands of the poet, Kalir's hands, Im Migdash Hashem Kohen it's not about God. God's response. You talk about these terrible outcomes, but you forget what the cause of all this is, that you were killing in the temple the prophet and the priest. That's God's response in terms of Kalir's interpretation. And this brings us to a deeper point about the keynote in general and the great tension that lies within the, the keynote. On one hand, they are complaints. How could it happen? But there's also within the keynote a kind of confession, a justification. And that takes the form of Hashem God, to God belongs righteousness. A later poem of Kalir, there are a whole slew of consecutive Poems, keynote, elegies by Kalir. You did right by us. The shame is, is ours. The fact that we have rejected you, etc. So within the keynote, within Tishabov, the keynote afford us an opportunity on one hand to reflect upon what has happened. We are mourners. We are simply addressing the fact that terrible things have happened to our people over time. We deeply connect to it. But there is a sense in the keynote, there's a pushback in a sense, both put in God's mouth. How can you say this? What about your own behavior? And then there is, in fact, our own confessions. L'cha Hashem Hashem of course, is part and parcel of the process of repentance. And as I have pointed out before, the day of Tishabov is a day of mourning. What have we lost? But it's also a fast day. Fast days are about repentance. The three weeks, this time of the year, mourning and reflection 
leads us to the next period in the year, which is the period of Yom HaKippurim, the period of reflection, taking stock of one's own behavior, and hopefully correcting the mistakes that we have made.